Good morning, Crosswalk Church. Oh, yes, you guys are alive. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Isai. I am uh, the youth pastor here at Crosswalk, blessed to be running that ministry. Um, so my shameless plug always, if you know somebody who's in high school or in junior high, uh, we have some awesome ministry. Um, uh, this ministry is called The Walk, um, and, and it's just, it's, it's so cool. Guys, come check it out and invite, invite them to come check it out. If you want more information, The Walk underscore HS for high school and The Walk underscore JH for junior high. Um, another thing that's happening, guys, huge deal, is that today is the official launch of Crosswalk Chattanooga. The official launch of, yeah, that deserves a clap for sure. This is a big deal. They're meeting every single week now, okay? And uh, it's huge, man. That is so awesome. The team is incredible. They are just crushing it. Okay, and, uh, and Tim's over there uh, just holding down the fort and speaking for them. And so I have the opportunity to speak for you guys. It's awesome to see what God is doing in that community. Um, we can't think about them as another church. We can't think about them as this church that's far away in I don't know where. Uh, we have to think about them as part of our community, extensions of our community. We're all part of the family of Christ and the Crosswalks family uh, specifically. So it's exciting to see what God is doing there. Uh, so some people wonder, how is this going to work? How is this whole multi-campus thing going to work? Because Chattanooga is so different than Redlands, right? The people are different. The backgrounds are different. Everything's different. The weather is different. It's a big, big difference. Um, different ministry needs. So how, what is Crosswalk going to look like? Because it's so different. And there's people not just um, in Chattanooga, but all over the world that are watching what we do. There's actually a, a group in Yukon in Canada, who's, who gets together at a church and that put, puts our, our uh, sermons up on the screen. That's incredible. We're here in Redlands in the scolding hot sun and they see the northern lights like every day. Whoa, that's different, you know? That is crazy. There's so much difference there. And as we begin to expand and, and add more people to this community, to this family, we'll notice that everyone uh, expresses themselves differently. Everybody does this whole belief things differently. And, and Christianity has always been that, right? This melting pot of different cultures coming together and worshiping Christ. And these, these differences that we see um, we don't just see just in, in, in church, right? We see it in every area of our lives. Um, it's evident. So when I was a college uh, sophomore, I decided to grow out my hair. All my roommates did. I have long hair, you see? Uh, it's like about this long. Uh, I've been growing it out for a while, cut it several times. And so when I started, I didn't know how to take care of my hair, okay? Apparently, you have to be a little bit more intentional when you have long hair. And so I decided I'm going to ask the experts, Okay, and the experts are obviously girls who have had long hair their entire life. They know what they're doing. They're going to give me just helpful advice, right? So quickly, I, I found out that these experts, that you ladies, um, are not on the same page when it comes to this whole taking care of your hair business. Okay, you guys are not on the same page. Apparently, there's millions of, of, of different products that you recommend. And, and, and just like with the issue of, of, of brushing your hair, okay, of like when to brush your hair, I asked different people. And, and one girl would look at me and say, let me see your hair. Okay, you need to brush your hair before you shower. It's better when you do that because even they'd give some sort of reason. And then somebody else would be like, Okay, uh, you need to wash your hair uh, when you're in the shower, 
okay? That's the best time for you because your type of hair is this, is this, whatever. Um, and then somebody else said, you need, to, you need to wash your hair shortly after you shower, like right when it's still wet, you know? Some girls are like, yeah, yeah, that's when you're supposed to do it. Um, and then one girl said, you say, you know, I don't even brush my hair. Uh, apparently she read this article or whatever that's healthy for your hair, and she's like, you say, try it. You don't even have to brush your hair. And out of all those options, obviously my favorite one was not to brush my hair. <laughs> it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of time in the morning. I'm like, I'm not gonna, if I can skip that step, I like that. So I skipped that step for like two months. My hair was already getting long for two months. Uh, and I remember going home to my mom. My mom being like, mijo, what's wrong with you? Like, what, what, mom, is this, what's wrong? It's like, your hair, what's wrong with your hair? I'm growing it out. Um, my, mom, my mom looks at my, my hair, and it turns out my hair was so nappy that I was growing dreads. I'm not lying. I was growing like a dread back here. And uh, my mom sat me down. She's like, mijo, we're going to cut your hair right now. And she called our neighborhood-friendly barber. Everybody has that barber in their neighborhood for some reason. And so, and so she came over. I'm like, no, mom, you're not going to do this, mijo. Yes, we are. And, uh, and she cut my hair. We cut my hair. I had to start from the top, you know, and I brushed my hair after that. Um, but I learned my lesson. But turns out everybody, everybody treats their hair differently, right? Everybody, everybody um, they, they all have, like, we all have different genes or whatever that, that, that make our hair unique. And so because of that, everyone has to, everybody's different. Everybody has to treat their hair differently. When it comes to belief, everyone treats their belief differently. Just because you're from the same church or the same denomination, that doesn't mean that you express your belief in the same way. When people meet Jesus and, come, uh, and become Christians, they don't come as blank slates, right? They don't. They, they all can, we all carry around our religious background, our cultural background, and that affects the way we express ourselves. Maybe you have a Christian background, maybe you don't. Maybe you have uh, um, uh, an Adventist background, or maybe you have a non-denominational background. Maybe your, your eth- ethnic background affects the way you worship, Um, maybe you come from a strict household, maybe you come from a not-so-strict household, and we can go on and on because our cultural context is deeply a part of the incarnation of our beliefs. And we can choose to see these differences as points of of unity. We can see it as as a way, um, you know, as a positive thing, as an asset to our community, or we can see them as points of unity and tension. In the early church, there were people who, from all over the world, right, from all different, or from all different types of backgrounds, right? And, uh, and these differences that they had among themselves, they were causing a lot of divide, and they were, they were causing a lot of tension. And so Paul here is constantly trying to veer the conversation, veer them back to what is most important. So this text that we're going to read is from Romans chapter 14. Okay, Romans chapter 14. And, and I have to admit, this is not a text that I, grew, that I grew up hearing. All right? This is not a text that I grew up hearing. You'll know what I mean. Romans 14, verse 1 and 2. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some people believing in eating anything while the weak eat only vegetables. Love this text, man. It's one of my favorite. Um, A great text, right? Great text. (laughs) 
So instantly we're introduced to this divide, right? This divide, those who, to, who, who eat me and those who abstain from eating me. And that divide is still alive and well in our community, right? Between those who, as Paul would say, those who choose to eat meat and those who are weak. That's what Paul says, what the Bible says. I don't know. <laughs> There was, this, there, was, there was this tension, right? There was this tension growing up uh, because I, I, my, my family, my extended family, I had a side that was uh, a not about eating meat. They were vegetarian. And then I had another side that would eat meat. And so we were right in the middle. My immediate family were right in the middle. How does that work? Well, maybe, maybe you were like this. At home, we didn't eat meat at all, okay? My mom believed in this, in this health message She's like, no, I'm never going to cook meat in the house. She would only do it in special occasions, Christmas or whatever. Um, but we weren't vegetarian because we'd go to the other side of the family. And the smell of carne asada would just fill the atmosphere. And, uh, and how could you resist, you know? How could you resist? And so we weren't vegetarian. And I would get judged by both sides of the family. Like my meat-eating side of the family was like, why don't, why don't they eat pork, you know? Because we didn't eat pork growing up. Uh, or why don't they eat more meat, you know? Why don't you cook meat at home? And then from the other side, I experienced judgment as well, you know? My cousins were, were strong vegetarians, you know? Never tried chicken in their life kind of thing. And they were, they were the, judgy, the judgy kind, okay? <laughs> they would always show me these videos, right? These videos of like how, why it's healthy for you or whatever. And, and any smart person would be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense, you know? But then I'd go to the other side of the family. And, and that, that smell of carne asada would just, you know, it would captivate me. Um, I would go out to eat with my vegetarian side of the family. So we'd go out to eat and they'd get their vegetarian thing, you know, their grilled cheese or bean and cheese burritos or fries or whatever you guys eat. It's a sad, it's a sad, li- it's a sad life when you go out. I look at other people's meals, I'm like, <laughs> it's rough. And I'd get my burger, I'd get my, my chicken or whatever. And, uh, and every time, I, like if I were eating chicken, I would hear my cousins in the background making chicken noises like, I'm like, guys, are you, can, can you not? Like, are you serious? Then I'd, I'd eat my burger and they'd be like, moo. I'm like, guys, come on. You know, I felt judgment between both sides and that divide was alive and well growing up. And it still, it feels like it is today, right? Um, and so, so even though we can take a lot out of this, um, this, this text, the context was a little bit different. I was like, please, Paul, please don't let it be about this little vegetarian, non-vegetarian divide. Um, and it's a little bit different. So back in the day, what was really popular was idol worship, okay? Idol worship was a really, really big deal. And so what, what they would do, the practice was to sacrifice meats to the idols um, as, as offerings. And so that meat was good. So what they would do is afterwards take it to the market and sell it. Now, in the market, you weren't exactly sure which meats were offered to idols and which weren't. Um, and so some people would go to the market and be like, no, I'm not going to risk that. And they would choose to not eat meat altogether. Um, which kind of makes sense. Like imagine you're going to Stater Bros or Cardenas or whatever you go to, right? And you go to the meat section and you know, somehow find out that these meats were, some of them were offered to idols. You're like, wow, that's weird, right? We'd be a little weirded out. That's kind of strange. So it kind of makes sense. Some people were weirded out, but some people were like, it's totally fine. Another key thing 
is that the meats that were offered to these idols were oftentimes the best meat because they wanted to offer the best to their, to their gods, to their idols. And so this was really good meat. And so some people were like, one, it's stone. The, the idols are just stone. It means nothing. So, so why, why am I going to uh, you know, freak out about that? That's no big deal at all. And plus, you know, I'm trying to cook some bomb food with some good meat, you know? So that kind of makes sense too. I see what you're saying. And so there was a divide there between those who ate meat and those who chose not to. Romans 14, verse 3. Those who eat meat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat. For God has welcomed them in. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Oh, beautiful. So in these texts, we see the term, the weak in faith. And in contrast, the implied uh, term or, or characteristic of not being weak in faith. And some people assume that, well, the opposite of being weak in faith is being strong in faith. But that's actually, Paul never mentions the term strong in faith in this text. Um, these, and for good reason. For Paul, these aren't value statements. They, he didn't want to put one over the other. Um, they were just helpful to, to identify certain groups with certain characteristics. So today, instead of saying the term strong in faith, I'm going to use the term the free of conscience. Okay, The free of conscience. So in the first century, it seems that this group, the free of conscience, did not carry that much baggage. Did not carry that much baggage. In contrast with those who are weak, they, they did not carry the baggage of their Jewish tradition. These people ate meat. They were cool with that, right? They, they decided to express themselves differently. Once they became Christians, they experienced this overwhelming um, sense of freedom that, that only Jesus can give. And they, it allowed them to express themselves in a brand new way. But the problem is that they began to look with contempt to those who were still caught up in the tradition. They began to think that for some reason our expression is better. They began to ridicule them and, and see them as second-class believers. They were tensioned. They despised them. Now, some of us have experienced this freedom, Right? Some of us have experienced this freedom of, of, of a refocusing on Jesus Christ, and it's awesome, right? We recognize that the focus of our expression is always on Jesus, and now we can express ourselves in a brand new way. We have the freedom to, to treat our belief differently. So we come, we raise our hands, we wear jeans, we, amen, we, we uh, groove with the drums, you know? We drink coffee in church. It's awesome. We treat our belief a little bit differently. But remember, we all have people in our lives who are still caught up in the tradition, that still find value. They're not, they're not free to, their conscience does not allow them to do some of the things that you're comfortable with doing. We all have that person in our lives. We all have those people in our lives. Maybe it's uh, your, your, your sibling, your, your aunts, your uncles, maybe it's your parents who still can't believe that you go to a crazy loud church where the pastor wears jeans and he has long hair and stuff. <laughs> we all have people like that, and it's true. We all have people like that. And so maybe we have fallen into the trap of looking at them 
with contempt, with looking at them and, and, and seeing them, uh, seeing their expression as less than ours, valuing only our expression. Maybe we have seen them as second-class believers. And Paul is calling us out. Those who eat meat must not despise those who abstain. Those who are free of conscience should not despise those who are still struggling with these practices and have not found freedom. God says, Paul says, check yourself, right? Because God is working through them, friends. God is working through them and God is blessing them. And yeah, they may never change. They may never understand or see your point of view, but God is as, as deeply a part of their spiritual journey as he is of yours. God is working through them. And we cannot, for some reason, think that our expression is better. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. Now let's talk about those who Paul calls the weak in faith. These are people who who do not have freedom of conscience, right? This transition into Christianity from where they were at, at, it was a big deal. It was a big transition. And in that transition, they had to reevaluate what they found to be most important and what they no longer felt was as important. And we have to do that often. When we have transition in our transitions, we have to constantly reevaluate what we find to be most important and what are the things that become non-essential. Right now, I'm experiencing this because I'm in the biggest transition in my life. So two months ago, I got engaged, all right? Yeah, big deal. And then this past month, we bought a house. So it's just making moves, you know, making moves. Um, yeah, it's such a blessing. We're so grateful for it. And as, as we're planning for it, we have to reevaluate things. I remember sitting down with Kevin, Kevin, the, uh, our drummer, Kevin Jimenez, um, before I proposed. And he said, Isai, you need to, uh, you need to reevaluate or you need to write down the things that you find most valuable as you're planning for a wedding, as you're preparing for yourself. You guys have to sit down and, and write that out. And so we did. Once I proposed and we're, we're working on this, on this wedding we sat down and we vision casted, you know, such a youth pastor thing to do. We sat down and vision casted and, uh, and we wrote down, wrote, wrote down the things that were most valuable and I started finding out that some of the things that I thought were valuable before are no longer as important. You know, I always dreamed and I told her, I was like, hey, so when the pastor says, when the pastor pronounces us, husband and wife, I need 15 doves to be released into the sky. <laughs> And I need a choir of little kids to sing the hallelujah chorus. That's what I, that's what I pictured, right? That's what I imagined. She was like, babe, no, why? Like, there's other things that we need to focus on. We need to spend our budget on that. And I had to force myself to rethink everything. I was like, oh, I guess that's not that important. And we're planning out our, our house, right? Cutest little house. But my vision was always, babe, I need a nine-foot grand piano in the living room. Like, babe, it's, it's not going to fit. Yes, yes, it will. Isai, where are people going to sit? They can sit on the floor. They can, they can stand up and hear me play, you know? <laughs> Turns out there are other things that are equally as important, like a table and a couch and those kind of things, right? So in these transitions, we oftentimes have to reevaluate to see what are the things that are most important and what are the things that are non-essential. And keep in mind that the issues that Paul's asking them not to argue about are the non-essential issues. Paul's issue with the weak in faith is that they put so much value in these non-essential practices that they become judgmental. And as I was reading this text, I was like, yeah, like, 
Eating meat, not eating meat, that's such a non-essential issue. Like, why are you guys going to fight over that? That makes so much sense. But then I kept reading. And what I read, friends, was shocking to me, all right? Verse 5 says this. Some judge one day to be better than the other, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Oh, my gosh. Paul, who do, you, who do you think you are? This was hard, right? I never heard this text growing up. Maybe you haven't either. Maybe it's the first time. I never heard this text growing up. Some people are listening to this and like, what? I don't understand. What's the big deal? I, I don't see. But many of you, like me, grew up in the Seventh-day Adventist church, right? And we find value in the Sabbath. And so this is troubling for me. And I thought, Paul, please don't let this be about the Sabbath. Please don't let this actually be about seventh-day worship. And so I studied the context. And most Adventist commentators will say the same thing. Well, Paul's not actually talking about the Sabbath. He's talking about different feasts and festivals and stuff. And maybe you've heard that. I've heard that one before. But as I kept reading deeper, this argument began to fall apart. For other commentators, Paul's words have a clear connection to the Sabbath. And they have a, excuse me, they have a strong case for it. One, festival worship was not the biggest deal of tension back in the day. It wasn't that big of an issue. Two, new Christians were actually worshiping every single day of the week. They would get together and worship every single day. Um, and so there were people who still saw the seventh day as being more special than the others. So that's where the tension really was. Any reader who read the letter of Romans would have automatically thought about the Sabbath. And number three, it echoed other letters from Paul. Um, he talks about this like in Galatians. He talks about this in Colossians verse 2, 16. It says, don't, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These findings are shocking, right? Because for Paul, the, the, this Sabbath day worship is a non-essential to the faith. Now, I have a serious issue with this, right? I have a serious issue because I'm an Adventist to the core. I, I believe in the Sabbath. I find deep value in it. It's important to me. And so Paul's message is as uncomfortable to me and maybe to you too as it was to the readers of the book of Romans. Notice that Paul's not taking sides here. Okay, this is a big thing. Paul is not taking sides here, nor is he asking the weakened faith to, to give up on their, on their practices and their tradition. Knowing Paul, he would actually have leaned more towards Sabbath worship because of his Jewish background. He's not asking the traditional to change. He's not picking sides he is just leveling the playing field. And he's doing it in the way that Paul always does, in a radical diminishing of cultural differences and a drastic refocusing on Jesus Christ. That's what he does. What Paul's asking us to do is, is, is to think of people differently. We must see people who think differently than us as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. This does not mean compromising your fundamental values, but it means not allowing these non-essential issues to, to 
uh, come in the way or to hinder the, the expression of, of, of the gospel communally, right? And when I say communally, I mean with people who do not believe like we do, who, who express themselves differently than we do. And Paul shares the mentality that we need to have in order to make this happen. Verse six, and this is fire right here. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. So we're being called to make the assumption that those who practice differently than us have the best intentions. That they have the best intentions. When we see people who are different than us, our first reaction is not to think positively about them. Our first reaction is not to give them the benefit of the doubt. Our first reaction is to, to think the worst, right? to assume all these negative things, to make all these uh, unsubstantiated judgments on their character and their intentions. And this is not just a, a, a problem among believers. This is an issue that is worldwide, that affects every area of our life. It deeply affects our society, friends. This week is big. This election season has been so polarizing and divisive and we can feel the tension, right? It feels like we are divided. You have two sides who are not even looking at one another and once we do, we assume that the other has the worst of intentions. There's hatred that is being stirred up among groups. There's, there's fear that people have about what they don't know but we are being called to as believers in Jesus Christ to think differently. The fear and the hatred that are built up against one another are the effects of our inability to recognize the universality of the human experience. Pastor Alex talked about this last week. He says, the game of our society, the game is survival of the fittest. The game forces us against one another. And so as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to stop playing that game. And I'm not asking you to be naive. I'm not asking you to give up on your personal convictions. But I think we are called as believers in Christ to see, it, to see every single person, no matter who they are, no matter what color, what political party they're a part of, we need to see every single human being as made in the image of God. This is crucial, friends. Everything is being flipped around. And I know that this is difficult. We all have been called to create, though. We've been called to create these diverse communities that model the kingdom of God and that are of radical acceptance. May our first thought be to assume that someone has the best of intentions. Just imagine how that would change the most critical relationships in your life. If you assume that your wife had the best intentions, if you assume that your husband had the best intentions, that your kids, that your parents, that your coworkers had the best intentions, what if we assume that? Our first thought toward people that are different or even the people in our lives is to assume that they have the best intentions. In verse seven, he closes, he says, we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Paul is casting this vision, right? Where, where the church is united in this understanding that our goal and our mission in life 
It's to expand the kingdom of God. He imagines both the Jews and the Gentiles putting all these, these, these differences, these cultural differences aside and coming together to uplift the name of Jesus and create something beautiful. Now, I hope that you've experienced this before. I got a chance to experience this uh, when I went to go see one of my favorite bands of all time, uh, Coldplay, okay? Any Coldplay fans out there? Yeah, so I'm a, Coldplay's been a big part of my life, right? When I, was in high, when I was in high school and I went through one of those like three-week breakups when like your, your life is about to end, uh, I remember putting my headphones on and listening to every tear is a waterfall and just like weeping, right? <laughs> Coldplay, man, Coldplay's been with me through some big moments. Um, and so finally, I get to go see Coldplay. Uh, we, w- we went to go see Coldplay in LA in this huge stadium. And maybe some of you guys were there. Um, There's a lot of people there. And it started, the concert started at 7. And so we showed up at 6.30, ready to go. We're like, oh man, we can't miss Downbeat. You know, we gotta, we gotta be there. So 7 o'clock came, and these random people come up and start playing. The openers. Ah, oh, dang it. You know, I'm here to see Coldplay. I don't, really, I don't really care. Like, that's nice, but I don't really care because I'm here to see Coldplay. Um, and, and we were waiting, right? This, this little nosebleed seats with, that are so tiny for me. This, this is a bad experience. I see people moving in the background, like kind of commotion. And I look back, and there's this guy there, okay? And this guy was like really hyped, but in the worst way possible. Okay, he was just like going nuts. He was dancing, he was bothering people, he was saying dumb stuff. And everybody was looking around like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what's wrong with this guy? Um, and so he was looking for a seat, and it was one of those moments that you're like, please, Jesus, don't let him sit next to me. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm the worst, right? You guys don't do that at all. Um, and just the way the Holy Spirit works, right? <laughs> He starts going down my aisle, and his seat is right next to mine. Jesus, you know, 50,000 seats in this arena, really? And I'm the one? And so he's going crazy, right? People around us are turning around. He's like dancing and bumping into me like, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. I feel uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. And, um, and 7.45 came, nothing. 8 o'clock came. Somebody went on stage. And it was this girl, Alessia Cara, who's great, all right? She's, she's awesome. Uh, but I, want, I was there to see Coldplay, man. And so, and so everybody's just kind of still into it. He's, da- he's going nuts. He's dancing to the music, bumping into me. Like, I'm not feeling it. I was thinking, oh, man, my mom was right. I should have never come to these concerts. I, <laughs> I'm a pastor. Like, what am I doing here? And so... Uh, and so 8, 8.30 comes nothing. 8.45 comes nothing. This, I'm just about done with this guy, with this situation. This guy's just going crazy. I'm just about done. And 9 o'clock comes. And the, all the lights in the stadium go dark. And so they had given us these, these wristbands, okay? Where, uh, and, and all these wristbands, like, they, they, would, they would get bright and shine different colors. Um, and... And when the lights went dark, everybody in the stadium, all their wristbands lit up. And it was beautiful. Instantly, we were a part of that experience, too. It was awesome. And then people started going crazy, right? We see four guys walking on stage. Oh, my gosh, it's them. This is the moment we've been waiting for, and everybody goes 
crazy. And in the middle of the commotion, I make eye contact with this dude. And this dude looks at me, and he goes like this, yeah, go play. And without a thought, I look at him and I'm like, yeah, we have this moment. We're so hyped together. We're going crazy. We're, we're, we're fist bumping each other. We're giving each other hugs. It's like, oh man, they are here, you know? And that concert was incredible, you know? Their songs are so good. We were singing all together, all like 50,000, however many people were there. When you try your best, but you don't succeed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Who can't relate to that? And, I, and, and I, I'm, I'm with this guy who's next to me and all of our, our bracelets are shining. Uh, you know, lights will guide you home. Oh my goodness. Never felt so connected to that many people. And to this guy who's a random guy, we were, we were homies. <laughs> what happened? How did this even happen? Well, the, the key is obvious, right? There was a point of unity between every single person in that stadium. And that was Coldplay. That point of unity, we were all there for one reason, that was to see Coldplay. And friends, the point of unity in our community is Jesus. Jesus is the point of unity. And friends, when we make that our focus, when we focus on Jesus and uphold him over everything else, our communities will begin to change. We need to see people differently, friends. We need to see others as believers and brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We need to assume the best in one another and that's gonna transform everything. I'm gonna end by reading this prayer that Jesus prays. It's found in John 17. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given them so that they may be one as we are one I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's beautiful. May Jesus be the focus and center of our entire lives. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so much for everything you've given us. We recognize that our communities can, can become divided. We recognize that our country feels divided a lot. Um, but we want to be different. Jesus, may you motivate us to make you the focus of everything. May all those cultural differences and non-essential issues fall to the wayside because you are above everything else. Thank you for this crosswalk community and may you always be the center of this church. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Let's stand up and sing together.